once again, Wild Earth Australia blew me away. And I do apologize to them because it must be so hard to deal with my unorganization sometimes. So my life is pretty erratic and I suddenly find myself about to fly to Tonga to sail a boat following the humpbacks to New Zealand. But I'm out on my off-grid property with reception that only comes in the wind and suddenly I realize I need some sailing gear. So again, not being able to look at the website to really figure out what I need, but enough reception to get an email off and to make a call. So I get hold of the guys at Wild Earth Australia and tell them about my next adventure and they knew exactly what gear I would need. So they sent me a set of merino wool thermals, a pair of Gore-Tex North Face pants and an insulated North Face shell jacket. This gear is next level. The jacket they sent me is a North Face Arrowwood Tri-Climate jacket and it looks pretty badass. It has an inner fleece that can zip down, so you're left with just a waterproof shell. So it doubles up, and even though it'll be good for sailing and the mountains, it actually looks pretty good. So I'm going to wear it out to dinner tonight in Sydney before I fly out tomorrow. Now, again, I put the order in, and I use a friend's address in Sydney. And then my mates in Sydney call me the next day saying a package has arrived. So Wild Earth, you blow me away every time with how efficient you guys are and how knowledgeable you guys are with the gear needed for all types of adventures. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are legends. So if you guys need any outdoor gear for your next adventure, camping, hiking, climbing, running, kayaking, anything to do with adventure, these guys have it. So go to the website wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters, free shipping Australia wide, and they even ship internationally. Wow, this episode, this woman, this story, it's all amazing. Tara Rome's who you're about to meet is an inspiration. What a spirit and what an honor it was to have her on this podcast. This woman spent four and a half years walking around Australia to spread awareness for mental health. She has so many stories and I'll have to have her on again because after we finished recording this episode, she told me the most terrifying story which I cannot get out of my head. So I'm going to meet up with her again and record that one for you guys. So stay tuned. I do have to apologize to you guys, the listeners, as we recorded this episode down the beach. It was just such a beautiful day, but there's a bit of background noise from the waves, which I couldn't edit out fully um, without our voices starting to turn like robots. But you need to listen to Tara's story. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you guys do too. Yeah, but but Tara, I, what's amazing about today is we're being so selfish to the listeners because we just chose to do this podcast right on the beach, on these rocks at Bonnie Hills in Port Macquarie, and it's the most amazing, beautiful day with crystal clear water, and I'm so stoked. It's perfect. Look at this. It's, it's so gentle coming in and soothing the sounds. Yeah, well, we, we could have done it up on the hill and had no wave sound, but... It's just too nice to sit down here. But I'm so stoked to get you because I, I met you in such an organic, unique way on Lord Howe Island where I just ran into you and just got talking to you and realized that you have such an amazing story to tell and you're such an inspiring, amazing woman. I kind of can't get over what you've done. And so we're kind of here to tell that story or, or to break through. But where, where did you actually grow up? Where are you from? I was born in Newcastle. I uh, grew up on Lake Macquarie and moved down to the Snowy Mountains uh, in my late teens. So Kosciuszko National Park was literally my backyard. And uh, I, I grew up walking, uh, riding, swimming in the creeks, snow-fed creeks, 
Uh, that's also where I learnt uh, navigation and started my first solo multi-day walks. Really? So, so growing up, up in that area, would you just say it just gave you this sense of adventure? It's like, or did you always have that implanted in you? Oh, I always had that, thanks to mum and dad. <laughs> uh, when I, I, growing up in Newcastle, every school holidays we went somewhere else to a national park, um, Binnaburra, Warren Bungles, uh, and Kosciuszko National Park one year. Uh, so we were bushwalking. I was a free-range kid, and also during school, uh, after school, on weekends, I'd go off into the bush. And I'd watch the animals, I'd learn from the ants and the, the weather, and uh, I'd taste different things. I'd, I'd watch animals eating something, and I would have a taste of it. I was quite surprised I'm still alive. Really? <laughs> so I was extremely curious as a child, and I still am now. That's yeah. why I travel so much and spend so much time out there exploring. Yeah. So you've just gotten back from doing um, quite a feat, actually. You've just gotten back from this amazing adventure. Um, now, what I always find... A question that I always want to know from people that do these wild adventures is just how did it even come about? Like how did you even get the idea to do this? When I was about 12 years old uh, in school, I went to the library and I picked up a book called Tracks by Robin Davidson. And uh, you may have watched the movie Tracks, uh, but the book is always better. And it was a story about her walking with camels from Alice Springs to the West Coast. And I was inspired the way she wrote about her connection to nature um, and the way she felt uh, by herself in nature, the solitude. I loved that. Just my 12-year-old soul resonated with how she wrote about her feelings and experiences. And uh, back then I said, I'm going to do something like that. So you always had it in your mind to, because um, I know you've done a lot of adventures your whole life, but was it, would you say this is the biggest one? Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, okay, so the adventure, I uh, was walking around Australia for four and a half years, walking 17,200 kilometres. Oh, my God. Did you know it was going to take four and a half years? Or you just, you just, <laughs> did you literally just say, oh, okay, this has inspired me to do a big walk? Did you have a destination in plan and it ended up going around Australia? Or did you literally just were like, you know what, I'm going to walk around Australia? Well, I'll give you a bit of a backstory. Uh, in 2008, I started uh, a little non-profit called Walks for Awareness, um, which closed up a couple of years after. And I, was, I walked uh, about 5,000 Ks for um, marine conservation, climate awareness and justice. And uh, so little bits of walks here and there. Uh, I think the longest one was 1,400 kilometres. Wow. And then uh, wow. One, one of the walks was for shark conservation. So do you train? If you're doing these big long walks, is there any training or is it just something your body's adapted to? Does it hurt? Is it painful? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much you train. Once you're out there doing it and you're pushing yourself to your limits, it's going to hurt. Um, You train to your limits and then you push past the limits when you're out there and you create new limits. So if you're doing this walking, like obviously you've got to pack on you and 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 water and, and food and I'm guessing that's really he- like how heavy would your pack be, and what what would you actually pack? Okay, the walks, uh, the the, pri- the the previous awareness walks, I had a variety of things: uh, heavy packs, light packs, and uh, buggies and trailers. So I tried out um, I tried out different trailers that I converted for walking, uh, bike trailers that I converted for walking, and I'd push them or pull them. Uh, and the packs I went through a variety from a forty kilo pack front and back with like 
a lot of water. <laughs> um, and uh, then I went ultralight as well. So I can get my summer kit down to about seven kilos. Oh, wow. Uh, so, but, but that's through experience. And so you're basically just walking and then camping and then walking and camping? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I also do this for my own mental health. Uh, so I need to be out in the bush. I need to. I, I seek solitude and wilderness uh, for my own sanity to yeah. be grounded. I I, I can completely um, completely understand that. That's something that I have to do with my within my own self. And I it was, it was actually I, I learned this years ago about myself. It's um, if I go do anything that's highly stressful, work situations. Um, I used to work a lot of construction. And every time I do a construction job, it's the same thing. I just have to go back to nature and I just go into nature and just camp and just be by myself. And it's just that exactly that. It's just grounding. It's that reconnection. You're just connecting back into like kind of what is. I don't know how to explain it, but for me, it's just like it lets me be myself again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And you are yourself. You're, you are part of the wildlife when you're out there by yourself in nature. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you cannot be more natural than that (laughs) so how often um how often do you go to nature and do these walks as often as i can um and if i don't i start to get sick so i will actually go out and spend multiple weeks on my by myself um away from any other people sometimes completely off track yeah amazing okay so where did the idea come from to walk around australia my psychologist Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So after the walk in 2010 for shark conservation, uh, I received a lot of death threats. I was uh, stalked and harassed. I had people throwing glass bottles at me. Why? Because I was threatening their livelihood. uh, I I decided, oh, it would be a smart idea to go and do a walk by myself, unsupported, around the southwest of WA as the government's introduced a buyback scheme to stop commercial shark fishing and uh, so the commercial shark fishermen um, after the story hit the papers and the radio decided to find me I was a slow moving target and uh, it made me extremely scared and then afterwards vulnerable oh my god uh, so you're 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 doing something out of your own heart that you feel um, is beneficial to our environment and our ecosystem you're trying to spread awareness you're doing something that it's just so amazing, and you got this slack, this kickback. It was to it the was point of to the point of actual death threats. Mm. So, yeah, I was still getting death threats uh, a year after I stopped that walk. Uh, it was supposed to be a fourteen hundred kilometer walk. Uh, I only managed to do four hundred and fifty kilometers before it was too dangerous. I, ha- I I had to stop. I was going into more isolated places. Uh, where I was going to be even more vulnerable. So I pulled out of that one. Oh, my God. I'm but, so sorry that you had to experience that. <laughs> it was a really bad experience. Um, when I hear politicians complain about getting death threats, it's like, yeah, but you're surrounded by guards. You're in an office. You have lots of people that will stand up for you. But when you're out there walking by yourself for such a... Uh, it was a very important issue for me, shark conservation, because sharks are... We, we need them for the oceans. And, and um, they're so beautiful. To uh-huh. yes. I... Oh my god, that is actually so hard to get my head around because you're such a nice, lovely person. And the thing is, you're coming directly from the heart space, doing something like that. You know, like you're coming from the heart, doing something that you're passionate about, and that's something that is pro environment. And it's so, it's so heartbreaking to see when, 
like oh, you just by yourself, you're like, hey, I'm going to go for a walk, spread a bit of awareness, you know, do my part. Mm. And people, okay, fair enough if people have their own opinions and that, but to go to the point of actually threatening you and putting your life through hell like that, yeah. when you're literally just doing something from the heart. Yeah. It that confused just... me. I think that was part of the fear as well. It was the confusion. Why are people reacting like this? Why, uh, why can't they, they see the facts? Um, but, of course, you know, that there are these types of issues are polarised. Yeah. Uh, so the shark fishermen are fighting, against their, fighting for their livelihood and then there are people like me out there um, fighting for the opposite. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to fight even harder. And uh, that, that's what I was receiving when I was out there walking by myself. But uh, I ended up going into hiding. I flew back to the East Coast. I hid. I was too scared to go out anywhere by myself for a year and I actually became suicidal and attempted to take my life three times. This is where the psychologist comes in. Oh my God, Sarah. <laughs> I was still getting, my heart, I was still getting death threats, uh, emails, I was getting phone calls in the middle of the night um, and uh, it was really, the police couldn't help because I couldn't get any IDs. Yeah. Um, I ended up shutting down social media pages, completely deleting them so you, that they couldn't get me through those. Going into, going into it, did you have any thought or that you might have a negative feedback at all or was it just a surprise when you... I thought I was being realistic. I thought that I would be able to engage in conversation with them, but uh, I wasn't being realistic. I didn't understand the people that I was going to be challenging. Yeah. I've, I've had that before just in life situations. You think um, <laughs> we, got, we got scammed over in, internet, uh, in Thailand, I mean, with our yacht, um, with the marina fees. And I thought, oh, I'll just go over there in person, talk to the guy heart to heart. He'll understand we'll be able to come to an agreement. And sometimes you just can't when people aren't coming, when people are lost in their ego. And you kind of think it's like, oh, no, it's all right. He's a human. I'm a human. We'll be able to go just talk about this and you approach it from kind of love and you think that's what you're going to get back and then mm. it always shocks me because humans can be so lost and that's something that you've just come up against I, I completely understand them wanting to fight it's the same like in Tasmania you know like the um with the forestry mm. you know I can understand them fighting for their livelihood that's it's okay but it's kind of how you go about and threatening someone's life and especially someone you seem like such an easy target there mm. and you know they kind of don't understand that domino effect that that could have putting such a lovely person into a hole like that well they do understand it but they don't care yeah yeah um but uh, i had a fantastic psychologist it took me a, a few to find a good one that i could share comfortably with and one of the first things she did sit me down and made me write a timeline of all the positive things that have happened in my life, all the positive events, all the positive times. And then we went through it. Um, and when you're depressed and you're uh, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and social anxiety, it's really difficult to remember all the positive things. Yeah. They can, be seem, they, they can seem so far away or you forget them completely, you block them. Yeah, you, you just can't find any positive in any situation. You, you, your, your, your life feels very dark. It is a dark place to be. But uh, she made me focus for an hour on the positives. And almost all of them were in nature, 
by myself, walking, kayaking, snowshoeing, skiing, and bike riding. And she said, look at all the walking, walking here, walking here, walking here, walking there, walking there. I think you need to go for a walk. <laughs> so her, her prescription for me was a daily walk. So then I was out walking on the country lanes in the Monero and I remembered this book, Tracks, and I remember the words of Robin Davidson and how she interacted and responded to her environment. And uh, I thought, I'm go for a walk. And uh, during my research into my mental health, I also was sidetracked by the state of mental health services in Australia. And uh, after a couple of years, I was fairly well into my recovery and I thought, I'm going to take my story of recovery around Australia and hopefully that will give other people some hope as well. Wow. So I walked around Australia. You're amazing. <laughs> Sarah. Yeah. What an experience. It was just amazing. I, I met the most incredible people and... Oh, Breathtaking landscapes. So, um, tell me how you did it. Where did you start and what did you take? How did you do this? <laughs> uh, I originally set myself seven years in a 32,000 kilometre walk. Seven years. So, you were prepared to, to do it for seven years. <laughs> yes. did, you, did you have, much, like, how were you going to fund this? Um, it was self funded for half of it, um, but half of it ended up being about 9,000 kilometres. <laughs> I, I, I reassessed my situation in Derby when I was really struggling with my mental health again. Um, so that was about halfway around and I thought, mm. no, it wasn't halfway around. At that time it was a quarter of the way around. And I thought to myself, can I do seven years and 32,000 Ks? No, not on my own. So I adjusted that and I thought I'll do a 16,000 kilometre lap around Australia and I'll take however long it takes. And ended up being 17,000, a little over 17,000. I started with a lap around Tasmania. That was my warm-up. You're kidding me. No, 1,250 k's walking around Tassie. I had a backpack at that stage. Very, very heavy when I started. And um, by, I started in Devonport and went um, clockwise. And by the time I reached St. Helens, it was time to change everything and find out how ultralight backpacking works. Yeah. <laughs> so new pack, um, new tarp set up, uh, everything was new and I decided to head through towns more often so that I didn't have to carry so much food and water with me. And uh, I managed to finish that uh, walk around Tasmania in uh, 10 weeks with yeah. a couple of weeks break here and there. It was really nice. Uh, it was a perfect way to start a walk around Australia, around Tasmania. And then I walked across Australia. I started out from Melbourne and then I had to stop because I found out that I had um, tumours uh, and I needed to go and see some specialists, get surgery, then recover. So I had a one-year break to reassess which direction I was going to walk across the Nullarbor. And uh, after one year... Uh, I was ready to go again. Oh, man, I was ready to go. <laughs> one year having to be in one place is really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> so I flew across to Perth and then I walked back the scenic route down around the southwest where I was going to walk with the shark, um, shark campaign. Were you, were um, you nervous re-entering this zone? I changed my name yeah. so that they didn't make that connection. Um, so I went over there, I had a, a barrow this time. I, had, I, I designed, from my experience with the previous um, conservation walks, I designed a barrow. A wheelbarrow? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, it was a 200 litre barrow. It was bright blue and yellow. I called it Dory. Uh, oh, like right. the Do- Dory from Nemo, Finding Nemo. Just yeah. keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep walking. <laughs> and I pushed Dory the whole way across. Uh, that was uh, over 4,000 kilometres uh, across uh, the bottom of Australia uh, via the southwest. And I did a side trip up to Kalgoorlie. And then across the Nullarbor and the down the Air Peninsula, uh, I was actually donated a shark cage dive. And I thought, oh man, this is fantastic because adrenaline and serotonin together are fantastic for mental health. Yeah. That's why a lot of people seek out these adrenaline sports. Uh, it, it, it's that boost of wellness in their mind and the feeling that you have afterwards, the buzz. It's yeah. very good. <laughs> very addictive. Very addictive. Yeah. So Calypso Star Charters donated that one when they found out I was coming through. Um, and uh, then I went back to the West Coast and I walked up the West Coast becoming the first white, first woman to walk the full length of the West Coast from the bottom to the top in Darwin. Yeah. Did, you, did you plan this via seasons? Like I couldn't yeah. imagine. So you went in winter across the Nullarbor? Yeah. yeah midwinter. But, but what's that actually like because I've, I've crossed the Nullarbor a couple of times and it's and it's even it's plus plus 40 degrees in the day maybe <laughs> even hotter and then minus temperatures at, at night yeah one of my previous walks um 2004 was middle of summer i was trying to walk around the bite so i know i know how hot it gets over there so this time when i walked around australia i planned everything around the seasons uh walking across the Nullarbor in midwinter so i arrived at norseman on the western side of the Nullarbor in June, yep. and I uh, finished in Sejuna six weeks later. Um, I know it was July. I finished six weeks later in August, and it was freezing cold. The days were short. The days were maybe nine hours of daylight, proper mm-hmm. daylight, and at night it would drop to minus five degrees. So, especially in a place like the Nullarbor, um, would you have to stop and set up camp, set up a fire? What what was in the wheelbarrow? Like, what would you... Actually, I've got so many questions here. Okay. What did you take to camp? What was your setup? And water. You're going across... Okay, so if anyone doesn't know the Nullarbor in Australia, this is the bottom of Australia that goes... Yeah, Sejuna to Norseman is the Nullarbor, isn't it? That's the gap in between. Sejuna being in South Australia, Norseman being in WA, and it's got the... Longest stretch of straight road in the world, which 90 is... 90 miles, yeah. 149 kilometres. Yeah, and it's desert, rugged de- desert, and the ocean's <laughs> quite close to it too, actually, and it's amazing raw landscape, nothing for miles. You're driving on that road, and all you see is the heat coming off. It's it, it's a very raw, wild place, and you're in the middle of nowhere by yourself, and there are... There's a couple of truck stops or service stations, which from my memory, um, crossing it a few times, it was kind of the length of a standard fuel tank, so every kind of 400 kilometers. So that's where I'd think you'd get water. So you'd be walking 400 kilometers per se, kind of without water, maybe? No. Or like, I mean, like in between water stops. Like, this, I get, this is the questions in my head of like, how? Because mm. I, I can relate to that area and I know how raw and wild that area is. And I'm trying yeah. to think if I remember when I did it as a, in a car, I've done, well, I've done it quite a few times, but as soon as I hit the Nullarbor, I always make sure I've got heaps of water on me. And I'm talking like drums and drums of water just in case you break down. Mm. 
I always take like cans of Coke. So you got Coke cans to wrap around um, pipes or whatever, anything that might crack in the car. Always have spare hoses, tools. It's like you make sure you're prepared because if you break down in that in that environment, in that area, you could be stuck potentially for days, weeks, and the life-threatening situation of dehydration sets in extremely quick. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So how did you do this? Well, you there are actually, <laughs> wild um, woman. There are actually quite a lot of roadhouses along. So the, long, the longest distance I had to walk between roadhouses was 180 kilometres. 180 kilometres. Yeah. Um, how much would you cover, could you cover in a good day? Uh, now, this gets back to training for a walk. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes trained before the walk, um, and then I also considered the beginning of the walk training as well. So I'd start out fairly slow at 20 to 25 kilometers a day, and then after about a month, I would increase, I'd increase that to uh, 30 to 35, and then a couple of months after that, I would try and push over 40 k's a day. Wow, um, up, that's a lot of distance. Up to 60 kilometres a day, depending on, uh, or 67 was my longest, depending on what motivation I had to get to the destination. <laughs> and that 67 kilometre a day was on the Nullarbor. Um, I was walking between Mundrabilla, Mundra, yeah, Mundrabilla and Eucla, and Eucla had offered uh, a room for two nights oh, uh, wow. that I could stay in and uh, recover. Uh, so I left Mundrabilla. I reached a rest area halfway, about 32 k's, and I thought, oh, it's fairly early in the day. I reckon I could reach it. <laughs> so I, uh, I packed up my lunch and I kept on going. And it was about 10 o'clock at night. I walked up the escarpment at the other end of, um, of the flatlands, and uh, it was fantastic to get there. But um, I had no idea what was in Eucla and what the place looked like that I was staying. I walked straight past it. <gasps> and I kept on walking. I was thinking, was that the town? And I looked back and there were a few lights. And I was all right, we'll keep going. There's, an, there's some more lights up there. And I was like, oh, no, that's Border Village. Now I turn around, go back, and you walk straight through Eucla. <laughs> so it was only supposed to be a 64K day. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like eight, 10 o'clock at night and I'm still walking. <laughs> You're kidding me. But um, water wasn't too bad. That's why, that, that's the main reason why I designed the barrow. With such a high capacity, large capacity, uh, was to carry the water that was required. Uh, the longest distance um, that I walked between water and towns uh, with no roadhouse between was um, Fitzroy Crossing to Halls Creek, which is 289. And I did that in six nights, seven days. So I was averaging between 40 and 50 k's a day. So how much water are you going through a day? Depends on the temperature and the terrain. Um, uh, If it's really hot, uh, like Fitzroy Crossing to Halls Creek, it was between 35 and 38 degrees during the day. I was drinking seven to eight litres of water. Um, Every fourth litre of that was with electrolytes. uh, But on the Nullarbor, when it was nice and cool, uh, there was a lovely breeze most days, uh, tailwind. And uh, I was doing, I was drinking probably maximum four, maybe five litres a day. Four was probably tops. And yeah. uh, at the end of the day, if I hadn't drunk enough, I'd drink another litre before going to bed. So what would you actually have in your pack? Um, in the barrow, 
Yeah. Uh, I've probably carried far too much in the barrow because I had the space. Yeah. <laughs> um, a little one-person tent, uh, sleeping mat, sleeping bag. Uh, I, I started off carrying a camp stove uh, with fuel, but then I realised I can actually travel with raw food. I don't need to cook, uh, so that saves that space and weight. Um, and I, I often walked on rations, so... Uh, when I couldn't get a food cache sent out, I would have to ration everything out to the next place. Um, and uh, well, if you couldn't get a what sent out? Food cache. I sent food caches out to myself before I started each section. Oh, really? So how would you do that? Uh, I I would pack it up into a box yeah. and uh, leave it at mum and dad's with an address on top, and then I'd phone them when I was getting close, and they would post it out. <laughs> so this this obviously took quite a bit of planning. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. You don't just decide to walk around Australia and head out the next week. <laughs> um, I was planning it for about one and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Right down to using Google Maps to see where the rest areas were or where there was a good stand of trees I could hide behind. Lots of stealth camping. Yeah. yeah. Did, you, did you have a phone with you the whole time and charging? Um, how would you charge? I actually had a satellite phone as well for the first section across the Nullarbor. And the one time I thought that I really needed it, um, no one was answering. Everyone was out doing something. Like, <laughs> and I was like, why am I even carrying this thing? <laughs> why did you think you needed it? Um, I had uh, I, I'd given myself some minor fractures in my feet. And it was extremely difficult to continue walking. And I was in the middle of nowhere with no phone range, no mobile phone range. So, it's literally, just from walking, did you? I phones? was trying to run as well. Um, early on in the in the um, the walk around the walk across the Nullarbor, so down around the southwest, I was actually starting to try and run uh, while I was pushing the barrow, just to get more kilometres up or make the most of the short time I had during the day. And just that stress, just constant stress on your feet, ended up fracturing bones. Yeah, just little tiny. Um, hairline fractures, yeah. um, which just required a short rest of a few weeks and uh, then continue on. So, I, yeah, I, I knew that I, I did something terribly wrong with my feet because I could barely walk and I pulled the satellite phone out and uh, tried to make calls and no one answered. And no one answered. <laughs> so I flagged down a coach and I thought oh, maybe a ute will stop and I can put the barrow on the ute and get a lift to the next town. There was, uh, I think a couple of towns down there was a hospital. Um, but a coach, I thought, oh, why not? I, they could put my barrow underneath the coach. <laughs> and the coach pulled up. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. <laughs> and then the coach driver invited me to come and stay at their place while I was recovering. Oh, amazing. Yeah. How did you find doing something that you were doing and, spent, and, and it being so meaningful, how did you find other people... Um, other people's hospitality towards you? In some places, they're completely fatigued from charity. So they're not interested. Yeah. Um, across the Nullarbor, you're just another walker. Uh, to, in their minds, they have hundreds of people walking across the Nullarbor. There may be 20 or 30. <laughs> yeah. But oh, you're just another walker or another rider. or Yeah, it's... Sometimes, though, like Eucla, for example, um, they love what you're doing. They understand why you're doing it and they want to help as much as they possibly can. 
If people have a connection with your cause, they want to do as much as they can to support you. Um, but until they have a connection with what you're doing, then they don't actually understand what's required. Yeah. Um, and other adventurers, of course. Uh, anyone who, who who dreams of doing what you're doing um, will pull you into their home for a couple of days and bombard you with questions, <laughs> yeah. which I love doing. And um, actually, there was um, a woman called Sue Wellington uh, from Geraldton. She was following me on, on um, Facebook. As yeah. I walked up the West Coast and uh, she caught me on the road one day and she, no, no, I was, I was actually stopped in a town having a rest day and she hunted me down in the town just to say, when you're in Geraldton, you're staying with me. And uh, so I stayed with them for four days and two years later, Sue walked across Australia as well. You're kidding me. No. <laughs> you're kidding me. No, I'm not. <laughs> but, and that's exactly it. It's like... You're inspiring them and showing them it's okay for them to do what they want to do. Mm, that's correct. Isn't that yeah. amazing? How did you feel? How did that make you feel? Oh, so proud to know her. Yeah. <laughs> She's incredible, yes. Uh, I, I, do, I do this quite a lot. Um, I, I do public speaking events uh, and I, I, I love chatting to people. I love sharing the story because I, I know that it helps other people. It empowers them to follow their dreams. Yeah. Their, their dream might not be to walk around a continent. It might be to, to summit a peak like Kosciuszko. Um, to them, it might seem like it's out of reach. And then they'll read a story like mine and they'll go, oh, I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're allowed to do the things that we want to do. Yeah. It's like we're allowed to do that. If you're, what's that saying? Um, the dreamers of the, the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they will live out their dreams. Yes, that's correct. The dreamers of the night, dream, um, the, the dreams in the dusty recesses of the night, something along those lines. Yeah, uh, the, don't have to worry about those. Yeah, the, the ones who dare to dream during the day, they're the ones who'll make a change. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they're the ones who'll do something. Um, what I find about these these raw challenges, and like when I've done it myself. When I've done challenges myself, the hardest part is when you get to the edge of your limits mentally and physically and you can't check out. You're there. So how did you find mentally, like you're in the middle of a walk, you're so far away from a destination, your back's hurting, your legs are hurting, your body's aching, you're hungry, you're thirsty, and then a storm comes in. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, like, and you... Just have to deal. I'm sure there would have been so many times like this where you just were like, you know, I just want to go home, have a hot shower, sit on the couch, watch a movie or something like. <laughs> uh, not so much to watch TV, but maybe go home and have a pizza or something like that. Yeah, like <laughs> have a comfortable bed to sleep in, or a hot shower, um, or just water that I didn't have to clean. Yeah, um, yeah there were times uh, walking up the west coast. I, I experienced a bit of everything up there: cyclones, floods, fires fly plague um the fly plague drove me absolutely mad oh uh, like they do. I, I isn't was, that just a ningling on you yeah uh it was, wasn't just that i i was covered from head to toe in thousands of flies from about 20 minutes before first light until about 40 minutes after the last light um all day no escape for almost three weeks uh, I didn't have, a, there was no escape. I, I couldn't climb into an air-conditioned car. 
or a van or anything. I just had to keep walking through it. Um, button up the bottoms of my sleeves, put the collar up, tuck the fly net in, tuck my trousers into my socks. Hopefully they couldn't get in, but they would still get in. They would still mm. find a way into my shirts and underneath the fly net. And uh, they'd sit on the top of the fly net and they would shit through the fly net onto my mouth. And this just drove me insane. There was one day something white was on my lip from one of the flies that was sitting on the fly net and I, I took it off and, ah, oh, I'm, it's trying to, I'm getting fly blown from these things. And I just panicked and I couldn't, I couldn't go any further. I, I dropped my barrow, dumped the barrow on the side of the road and walked off into the bush and screamed and screamed. And I thought, what do I do? I can't think straight. I can't make any decisions from this point on. It, it literally drove me mad yeah. over the edge. <laughs> and that's when I pulled out my phone. I had phone range. I must have been near a mining um, gate. And I called my brother. And I said, what do I do? He said, leave it with us. And uh, they phoned the roadhouse just up the road. And then the roadhouse owner came down with his four-wheel drive and picked me up. Oh. And they looked after me for three days. <laughs> so in, in, in the worst possible moments, there is actually someone there to look after you. But there was another time I was walking up through a very windy area. Um, I was probably pushing into a 50 to 60 kilometer hour wind all day. And then someone pulled up and in their ute, they just pulled up alongside of me and they said, oh, there's a cyclone coming. Oh, no, another one. <laughs> it's the end of the cyclone season. Oh, no, there's another one coming. It's going to hit the coast this afternoon. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> Why hasn't anyone else told me this? And then they drove away. So they just left me out here with my barrow with a cyclone about to hit the coast. You're kidding me. Is that, <laughs> no, they didn't offer you a lift? No. Not... Hey, heads up. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah. And it was a really hard day. I was, I was totally exhausted. And um, But I managed to find the leeward side of a hill, uh, which was quite a steep drop-off. And just underneath was a copse of trees, really long, thin, spindly trees, but with enough bush for to, to provide some cover. The, the wind's just picking up a little bit here on this magical day down the beach, but yeah. Mm. And it's not a, quite cyclone strength, though. No, just a light breeze. <laughs> We're in a light breeze right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I managed to find a really nice little spot that was perfect to put the tent underneath these spindly, flexible trees. And uh, I rode out the storm. It, it, when it hit, um, the trees were just flashing around all over the place and they'd be hitting the tent and the tent would be slammed down in my face. And uh, it wasn't too bad. Were you scared? Uh, not terribly. I figured it couldn't actually blow me away. It might tear the tent and then I could head have to get a new one uh the trees were just bushes they, they weren't big enough yeah. to do any serious damage if they fell um and then the eye of the storm came over it's like oh and i fell asleep and i stayed asleep for the rest of the cyclone oh, isn't that <laughs> I, I slept through the other cyclone as well <laughs> okay. oh how do you do that <laughs> the brain oh. is such an incredible thing um well did you ever just feel like you know like that is that succumbing to nature, realizing that it is so much bigger than you. There is nothing you can do. You can't control it. So just let it. And for some reason, I, sometimes I find that so humbling. Mm. You know, you're like, ah, it's just going to do what it's going to do. And I'm just here. Yeah. 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 
And your brain recognises the sounds that are dangerous yeah. as well, um, the threats. So while I was out there, even on my most fatiguing days, uh, I would climb into my tent at night, I would read a little bit by a headlamp, fall asleep while reading, and the only reason I would ever wake up was if there was a human sound or a human smell. <gasps> so and you got that in tune with nature, you could smell another human. Yeah. I could, there was one morning, no, it was about two o'clock in the morning, I woke up, cigarette smoke, where's the cigarette smoke coming from? And I started panic, who's here with cigarette smoke? And then I heard way, way, way off in the distance, a car going away, like they, they were smoking with the window down, and as they drove past, the cigarette smoke just wafted out over the tent. And that was enough and for I your psyche to be like, danger. Wake up. There's someone there. <laughs> You're kidding me. No. It, that, it, that's the magic of the mind is yeah. uh, it only needs a few days to adjust and understand what's a threat and what's not a threat. Were you ever scared? Like, did you have <laughs> what, like animals walking along? Like, what, we were just talking about the snakes at my place that everyone keeps seeing on Instagram, the big diamond pythons that are living in my house. <laughs> but... Like living in the bush, having snakes, crocodiles when you're up north. How did you deal with these moments? Would you have moments like that? Well, I had a few moments. A um, couple of them were human. Um, uh, one of them was a pack of wild dogs. Um, and another one, was, another one was very early in the walk. And uh, it was actually down around the southwest. Uh, one night, my destination was... A rest area. I wanted the company of grey nomads and other travellers, and uh, it was in a national park. And I thought, well, I'll just make it to this rest area and sit down, have a chat, have some company. Did you always feel safe, like meeting strangers? You always yeah, felt most safe of, most of the time. Yeah. yeah, I always feel fine. It's just every so often you, yeah. 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 Sorry, continue. So, yeah, I was running. I was walking until sunset. And I stopped and had a break for a snack and some water. And uh, then I thought, well, I'll try running, walking, running, walking, and I'll be able to get there sooner. It was about a 37-kilometer day. And, Were you uh, feeling fit? Like, did this really... Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, you can't help it. Yeah. On, on the really good days, when you're, you're fed well and watered well, your, your body's just so in tune. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was getting dark, sunset... It was getting darker and darker and I was pushing myself more and more to get to this rest area and I came around this bend and it was a straight road down to the rest area and I could just, in, in, the, in the light of my headlamp, I could just see the reflective sign that indicated where the rest area is. Yeah. And I thought, yes, there it is, but why can't I see any other lights? There, there are no lights of other campers. I can't smell any campfire smoke. I can't hear any chatter. I thought, oh, maybe I'm too far away. So I kept on going closer and I'd stop and I'd listen. No, it's all silent. Why is it so quiet? And I eventually got to the rest area and I went inside. There was no one there. And I had a bit of a poke around and there was no one camped further into the bush. I was there all by myself. And, uh, but there were picnic tables and there was a, a long drop toilet. And I thought, I'll stop here for the night anyway. And... Uh, the um, stars were out, so I just rolled the sleeping mat out and sleeping bag out underneath the stars, parked my barrow down at the end of, um, of my, my feet, and uh, went to sleep. I had my little headlamp on, read my book until I fell asleep. 
And uh, then something in my brain woke me up in a panic that you're being watched. <gasps> I was like, no, 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 no. In my brain, I was like, I had a really foggy brain because I was so exhausted from the running. I was like, wake up, wake up, open your eyes. And as I was trying to open my eyes, I was thinking, where's my headlamp? Where's my pocket knife? How can I get out of my sleeping bag? I'm trapped. And I opened my eyes and I looked at my feet and sitting on the handlebar of the barrow was an owl. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> that was my first really scary moment. <laughs> and owls are spooky. They have that spooky energy. <laughs> and it, it woke my brain up because it was watching me sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, hi, owl. And I went back to sleep again. And just as I was nodding off, there was this whoosh as the wings swept over my face. And he just flew over you. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what... um. Did you ever think about animal signs and like what that could have meant, like spiritually? I I do believe that the owl is one of my totems. The dingo yeah. is as well, and the uh, eagle ray. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And and you said before, um, scary situations and with humans. Like, mm. is there any of them that you want to talk about? Because <laughs> you know, like I think that's what people always fear. Like I. I I, I do a lot of hitchhiking and I, I love doing it. And my, my trick, actually, people, if you ever want to hitchhike, it's an amazing experience. And, and my experience oh, is absolutely. it is always take, I always take fruit. You can give someone some fruit. Yes. You have these amazing conversations. But you just, I just dress normal, dress actually really nice, smart, casual, yeah. normal. And I stand on the side of the road, put my thumb out and people just look at you. Oh, they see you as safe. Yes. So it's so easy to get a lift and you always meet these amazing people. And, and I find if you are looking a little bit, say, derelict maybe the the word, then you're going to get more of a derelict person pick you up. But if, you, if you're just looking if, pretty smart and, and you just a human that just needs a lift, it's like it's actually so amazing. It's such an amazing way to connect with 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 people. Yes, yes. Um, uh, from a female perspective, uh, I've hitchhiked around Australia years and years ago, a couple of decades ago. I, I still hitchhike when there's no public transport between towns. Um, which is quite common in Australia, unfortunately. Uh, as a female, you dress conservatively. You don't dress to attract the wrong person that will yeah. pick you up. That's the, that's the main thing for a female. You, yeah. you, you dress sensibly. Yeah. Um, so walking by yourself, like you, you, you can be so vulnerable there. Did yeah, I gave a, a roadhouse, which has since changed hands, a bad review they were tagged by someone who was following my page so they could read the review I gave them they hopped on the phone and called me while I was still in phone range to tell me what they were going to do what they thought of me why their place was falling apart and they couldn't get insured because of people like me <laughs> yeah well this is really working for you and um, they threatened to come up the road and sort me out with their shotgun so I immediately hung up on them to call the police. And uh, I was only 30 k's up the road. And there was no reason for me to not take them seriously. And for the time, for the half an hour it took for the police to call me back, I was expecting this guy and his shotgun to turn up. And oh I was thinking, now what do I do? Were you hiding out in the bush? Well, the phone range was so narrow down the highway. And I was right on the edge of it. That if I stepped three meters off the highway I had no phone range I had to be on the highway to receive a call from the police so I would go and hide in the bush and then run out when I heard no cars and I'd check 
my phone and then I'd run back and hide in the bush again. And uh, I was frightened. I was crying. I, I was posting about it so people knew what was going on. If, I, if everything stopped and I disappeared, they knew what had happened. And then the phone rang and it was the police. And they said, oh, yeah, he does this all the time. He's not near you. He was in the police station this morning. Oh, my God. Oh my that, God. That'd scare you more. <laughs> <laughs> but as a result of that, because I made it so public, the um, bike, uh, the riding groups and the gangs from both Port Hedland, Caratha and Broome, um, they, did, they did regular rides up and down the highway just to check on me. And the truckies got on their radio. What is in the bikey gangs? Yeah. Oh, God, that could be yeah, amazing. The, the, the clubs and the gangs, both of them. Yeah. Because um, I had the support of them in Caratha as well. And yeah. so they came out to check on me. And they go past, they do a U-turn up over the next rise and they come back and thumbs up, thumbs up. Yeah, everything's good. Um, How did you feel? Like walking along in your bar in the middle of nowhere, next thing, a couple of scary looking bikers come up. <laughs> You're good. Give them a thumbs up. Like, yeah, knowing that they've got your back yes, too. Yes, that's I've right. had some amazing experiences. And the, the truckies had my back. Yeah. Because they get on the radio. They knew, that they then knew exactly who I was, what I was doing and where I was. Yeah. And if they were refueling just up the road from me, they would buy something. Like a fruit salad, uh, a muffin, Coke, water, and they would pull their big rigs over when they saw me way down the highway, and for a chat and to give me a gift. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, <laughs> they are incredible. <laughs> Truckies and buckies. <laughs> yeah, isn't, it, isn't that amazing? So, and and that's that whole like you're doing something. People want to look after someone who's literally just doing something. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I, I, f- I found it with this podcast, literally just the fact that I'm doing something when I'm traveling, it's traveling with meaning or doing something that I myself is passionate about. People just want to help you out. Mm. You know, isn't it just amazing? We, we're, we're incredible humans, uh, how we can look after each other, yeah. the, the kindness we can show towards one another. Um, I experience that almost every day walking around Australia. Yeah. There. Although I was out there by myself, there were very few days that I spent entirely by myself. Yeah. How did you find, um, I find a lot of people get stuck in their shell, especially with travel um, and just interacting with other humans. And it's like, once you put yourself in that situation, I think it's actually really good, a really good social thing to do because when you travel by yourself, it's like you're forced to go and interact with strangers. And I find this a very valuable life lesson with relationships and socializing in life because you're able to connect with all types of people and you're able to open your mind and have less judgment. And I think it's a very humbling, growing thing for people to do because I find a lot of people, some friends of mine that, are, you know, you've got introverts and extroverts and I'm very um, extroverted, so I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone. I have been my whole life. And sometimes I make friends of mine nervous that are introverted because I'll just talk to strangers. They're like, why? And I'm like, That's sort of, you know, they're doing something, you know, I just want to connect with people. And I've even seen friends of mine do that and then want to go do trips to push themselves out to do that. And they always come back better people. They always come back more humble, less judgmental, better people when they've been able to experience that themselves. Mm-hmm. Even within Australia, we have so many different cultures. Um, I've been lucky in my life. I've traveled most of the world and I immerse myself in other cultures uh, so I can understand other philosophies, uh, other ways of living. Um, And even just walking around Australia, I was able to experience that to a degree as well. Um, But 
yeah, it's um, to see how other people live, uh, especially the hardships that other people go through, uh, is a real eye-opener. Yeah. And uh, to understand my place in these societies as well is very humbling. Yeah. Um, but essentially we all feel the same emotions and we all respond very similar and one in four Australians will suffer some kind of mental illness. So even though I was walking around Australia and I may not have had much in common with uh, some of the communities I was in, there was still that connection yeah. uh, where I could help, they could share, I could listen. And, uh, yeah, it was... Did you find that people would open up to you yeah. with that because of this? Yeah, lots and lots. <laughs> and, and how was that for you? Like just by being able to give someone a space where they could trust or confide in you with their, their own problems? Mm. I, I did a lot of uh, – ABC Regional Radio uh, was fantastic. I did a lot of interviews with them. So each time I went through a community, uh, the interview was played at least once, sometimes several times. And uh, people would just come out of their properties, like a farmer will see me walking past his gate. They'd finish their job, come out and meet me at the gate. And I was their first point of contact to talk about the struggles that they were going through, yeah. what they were thinking how they couldn't talk to certain people, what the bank was doing to them. Um, and all I had to do was listen. That's that's literally it. It's just like sometimes it's just people just need someone just to just hear them, you mm. know. It's just like and, – and being able to um, get something off your chest sometimes. And I think – that that could be a great um, a great thing to say. In my own life, I've, I've found that when um, there's an elephant in the room or, or anything with relationships, I to me, I always just remind myself communication, 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 and just and just just say it. You know, like if if say I'm in a relationship and the, someone's made me feel insecure or or I'm having this emotion, whether if it's it's deserves validation or not, you know might be it's just so much better just to get it off your chest and just say you know and then that way you've got this level ground that you can talk to it yeah talk about it yeah what an amazing message you're you're freaking amazing <laughs> you're an amazing woman it, it was it was a real privilege um for me to be in that position to to be able to make the decision to walk around australia to be in a place where people could approach me um, I was like the, the roadside counsellor. <laughs> yeah. And people, are, oh gosh, there are a lot of lonely people out there travelling along big, long highways. Yeah. And um, I was thankfully there for them to talk to before they did anything. Yeah. Um, some of those highways, unfortunately, are called suicide highways, lonely hearts highways. Um, and that's where I was walking. And that's where people could come and talk to me. And, and share their, their, their stories, share their troubles, share their deepest secrets. They knew that I wasn't going to share them with, them, with anyone and I didn't know anyone that they knew. Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't make any connections like that. So I was a very safe person to, to stop and talk with. And um, I understood how important that was for them. It was far more important for them than it was for me to, keep, to make my destination at the end of the day. Yeah. I... If you had a message to give to people, like listening to this, if someone is listening to this and it, and is 
lost in their life, is feeling down, is feeling anxious, um, sad, like just maybe someone who doesn't think they've got a way out. What advice would you give to a person, to that person? Oh, two things. Reach out. Reach out and talk to someone. If there's no one close to you that you can talk to, there are people you can phone or you can chat to online. And you can talk to people by, with a public phone or your, self, your, your mobile phone or home phone. Uh, you can talk to them on your, your laptop late at night when you're feeling at your darkest. Yeah. Reach out and talk to someone about how you're feeling. That's the first step towards recovery. Yeah. It's the first step in your path to being well again. And getting out into nature. Just immerse yourself in nature. Because nature is the ultimate healer, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, when you get out into nature, there's just something about it. The, 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 the birds, the colours, uh, the feel of the nature, the, the sunshine, the breeze. Um, it's healing. Yeah. It's soothing, calming. It's peaceful. Yeah. And you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to take a moment to do something for yourself. You know? Mm. Oh, that is such an amazing... I... My mum said to me once, I remember like, like I, it's, it's, it's really funny um, with how, even how I've grown up, like I, I grew up in a really rough situation. I had a really um, troubled upbringing and I remember my mum sa- saying to me once, there was, there was, I came home and I was frustrated at, at, at someone who had a, such a blessed life. And had always had everything that they wanted and had tried to talk to me about struggle. Like as in like uh, just related something to me about about struggle and I was and I just remember going, What the fuck you know, like what the hell would they know? Like in a judge you know. Um, and my mum said to me that struggle that they have is probably just as much traumatic or detrimental to them as the struggle you've had. It's like if we have such a blessed life and a loving family, not getting what you want for your birthday could be the most painful thing that you could experience. It could be on the same level as a kid who who was um, tra- like who was um, physically abused as a kid or something. You know what I mean? Like that same level of like that feeling in the heart. And it's like I find that sometimes friends of mine they think their struggle is not worthy to be talked about. They think their struggle is not worthy to be shared or their struggle is not worthy. It's like, you know, like, and I think that's the thing. Anything that is sparking these feelings within you, it's allowed to be talked about. You're allowed to have those feelings, you know, and like we, we do want to be optimistic and we, we do, but it's like, no matter what it is, it's like, you can't, we all have our own struggle and that's the thing. I just remember when my mum said that to me and it just changed my whole perception on everything. And I, and I completely approach things differently now. You know what I mean? Because it's like, that's the thing. It's like we, we've all, we've all got our struggles in life, no matter how perfect your life is, you know, and it's okay to reach out. It's like, and that's the best thing, man. Just communicate, just get it off your chest. Wow. What an amazing course. So are you, how how are you now? Is it still something that you're constantly still doing for yourself? I have to manage it. Yeah. Uh, most days I have to manage it. Avoid the triggers. 
because uh, I, I have a, a almost a lifetime uh, of post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, depression and anxiety, and uh, it's it's going to be the rest of my life that I am managing these, and I manage it a lot with nature. Um, I write, I journal as well. I've just started journaling. And it makes a huge difference to be able to just put things down on paper. If I don't have someone I can go and talk to, I can just write it down yeah, and let it go and turn that page over. The next day is a new day. Um, but uh, exercise, um, diet, mm. and uh, having a healthy outlook, having a purpose in life helps a lot. Yeah. yeah. Did you um, – I know you're saying like you're constantly – meeting people and, and, and having these connections and so you're never too lonely but there would have to be like some very lonely days. Oh, I actually seek solitude. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it can be a little overwhelming when too many people want to stop and chat or you're in a crowd and yeah. you can't escape. Uh, you can't have that, that time by yourself. Because uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a highly sensitive person um, in terms of my senses as well as what I, I pick up um, empathy-wise. Yeah. Um, Do you feel that you take on other people's energy as well? I like, can. Yeah. And that was one of, the tra- one, of, one of the things I had to watch very carefully while walking around Australia, that I didn't carry these things with me as I walked. Each, each time someone stopped to have a chat, I had to leave that by the roadside when I continued walking. If I carried that with me as I went walking, it would just get too heavy. Yeah. Way too heavy. <laughs> um, but uh, I, there were only a few times while walking around Australia that I felt truly alone and isolated, uh, lonely and isolated. So um, there's solitude and aloneness. That's your choice. You do that for recovery, for healing, for escape. But there's also loneliness and isolation. Um, which is unhealthy, um, and I usually felt that when I when my energy was lowest, I was most physically fatigued. Um, I was on very tight rations, um, and I wasn't looking after myself physically. That's it's so interesting what you just said there, right? At those points that were the hardest for you, it's like when you, and that's when you weren't or couldn't give yourself what you needed. You know what I mean? And that's back to it's okay to look after yourself you know it's okay to take a day off and go do have a pamper day for yourself it's okay you know like i i i I feel it's like when i'm working or like doing anything hard like strenuous if i'm not stopping and feeding myself or like giving my body the nutrients and it's loving yourself it's giving that what your body needs but it's also that mental state is what you're saying it's like giving you what you need and and when you get out of balance like that you know, so that might be a little thing too. If you are feeling like that too, would you say like, you know, take a step back and have a look because you obviously had a balance somewhere, you know? Like, yeah, our body we... and our mind work together. Yeah. They don't yeah. work separately. Did you have any, is there any magical moments from this four, four and a half years mm-hmm. around Australia, like just absolutely moments that just stand out of just oh. being breathtaking or magical or... Many. <laughs> Uh, there was this one night walking through North Kimberley, um, coming in a couple of days out of Timber Creek, and uh, was it Timber Creek, yeah. And uh, there were escarpments around, uh, the most incredible land formations, just coming straight up out of the ground, red, 
beautiful red rocks and yeah. bright green spinifex in contrast and, and blue, the, the most magic blue in the sky. Oh. And the, the colours were so intense. Yeah. Um, and uh, the sun would start setting and the blue would be turning to orange and green and purple and the, the red of the soil which would change to the dark purple and black and it was some of these nights I would stand there on the side of the road watching it with tears streaming down my face it was incredibly beautiful just, and, and, and all around Australia I experienced this beauty that would just stop me and sometimes I wished I could share it and other times I knew that if there was someone there I would experience it differently yeah so it's it's like a full immersion in your environment, a full sensory immersion, spiritual, emotional immersion. Did you find, um, because of walking and the way you were traveling, that it was allowing you to observe and connect more with those things? Yes, definitely. Um, I was traveling slowly. And I, I found it quite interesting when you said you're traveling across the Nullarbor and there's nothing out there. <laughs> you're very, very wrong. Yeah. It changes every day. Walking, um, I, I, I might have walked, you know, 30 to 40 k's a day, yeah. um, but each day was different. The landscape was different. The animals were different. Every few days, a, a different dingo family was traveling with me. The bird calls would change. The, the sound, the, the smell of the herbs I would bruise as I walked through them would change. You won't worry about the dingoes rounding you up? No, no. No, the dingoes were great. They, they were, were great actually my companions. Oh, nice. For a, a lot of the, um, the central and uh, western and northern areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, yeah, exactly what you just said, um, traveling slower. Mm. You're there to observe. And we talked on the phone the other day and I was telling you about foraging trips when I do them just to the point where you're like, okay, we're going to do a hike, but we're going to try forage and find food on the way. And just having something like that, whether if you find food or not, which you always find food, but of how it connects you to observe the nature around you. And we're talking about beach cleanups, just how when you're looking at the beach to clean up garbage, you start observing it so much more. So you have, you've got, you're using it as a trick to really connect with the nature around you. That's right. Yep. Without realizing it. Yeah. So you're, you're walking along the beach and you go, oh, that doesn't belong there. That's bright blue or bright red or yellow. I'll pick that up. Yeah. But then you start seeing all the other small detail, yeah. all the natural detail. Uh, all this, the tiny things. When um, I started taking my mobile phone with me in my pocket, it's my camera, yeah. uh, when I dash, dash off into the bush to go to the toilet. Because uh, a few times I, I dashed off the road into the bush and uh, some bright little colour or some tiny detail that didn't quite fit with everything around would catch my attention. And I didn't have my phone there to take a picture of it. So it, it, they're little wildflowers or, or, or lizards or spiders. Um, the tiniest, tiniest little detail that catches your attention. You, I, I would have to stop. I learnt to stop, look closer and appreciate that tiny little thing that distracted me. And yeah. uh, then go back to the walk afterwards. Wow. Bees. Oh, there are so many different bees in Australia. <laughs> really? In fact, sometimes when, if, if I could, I would stop for my breaks underneath trees with blossoms just so that I could watch all the different bees that would come and visit. You know what it is? It's a meditation. Hmm. You know what I mean? We go on about all the time that we need to med meditate. We need to just to still our minds and observe, relax. And you're just, 
you literally stripped yourself of everything, of all these societal pressures, this outside world, and you just allowed yourself to observe and connect with what is. Mm. That is freaking amazing. <laughs> I like what you said before, when you have these moments stopping. I, this happened this morning. Um, I've always got kangaroos around me at my place and, and everything, and and I always kind of leave them, but they're my... They're your friends. I don't know if you found what they... Like, I talk to the kangaroos every day. Mm. I just hang out with them, talk to them, and, and you might have done that with the dingoes. You I, just... I would talk to them every night. In fact, they would make a space in their call, their nightly call, for me to howl as well. I would join... I, the first night of a new family, I would join their howl. The second night, they would leave a gap for me to howl. You're kidding. No. Okay, wait, wait, explain this. So, so <laughs> they're... And that's exactly it. They're understanding that you're part of the nature with them as well. Mm. I, when I, people think I'm so crazy that I do this, like not people that live around my area, but um, like I'm from the Gold Coast when I go up home, I say, oh, first thing I do when I go back to my property, which is an off grid, um, I'm in the bush, 2K directly inland from delicate nobbies at Crescent Head. Um, my place backs on a national park, there's no fences, the wildlife roam free. And I've just got wildlife everywhere. Now, as soon as, and because I do travel so much, as soon as I get back to my block, um, the first couple of days, it, it, the animals are around, but not on my, my block. And I wee everywhere. Like when I, I go pee in the bush, but I don't just pick one spot. I go and I spread it around and I'll like pee up in the corner somewhere. I'll go pee on another tree, pee on this. And it's just spreading your scent. And after about three or four days, the animals are just there with you mm. and they don't run it's like the first day if i walk up to a roo or a pack of roos kangaroos they just run from me after about three or four days i can go stand in the middle of that of that pack and just be one of them you just sit there and hang there you can you know like, and they just sit there and you just stand half a meter from them. they just stare in their eyes they just stare at you and they just look <laughs> at you and it's so amazing that they just accept you as being part of that that habitat with them mm. and it's like this amazing experience and people think i'm crazy They're like what you pee everywhere i'm like yeah i'm spreading my sense and then when they smell me they know i'm not danger that's all it is yeah. and oh this guy's not dangerous he's not here to hurt us he's just you, hanging you out you belong there you're part of yeah the environment and it's yeah. like when you do that the connection that you have with the man it's freaking amazing you know, it actually happened two nights ago this is actually funny so i just it's funny so i'm building this cabin and it started getting too hard building and sleeping in this cabin plus the snakes are in there for now which is good because it's keeping the rodents out so i was living in my troopy and then i was like no i can't be living because i'm always driving i gotta so i got a swag and i was living out under the stars every night in different spots and i loved it but i was like i didn't have a place to just put my things or a clean spot so i bought this teepee i've got a massive teepee that oh, i've got wow six but i haven't erected it yet because i realized i want to do it properly so i was like huh so i've gone from troopy to swag and I want to go to the teepee. So now what I've done, I've bought this massive canvas tent. And it's got two big rooms. So it's got a kitchen in it and a, le- a bedroom at the back. It's amazing, right? So now I've put the tent up. So I'm living in that while I erect the teepee. So then I can live in the teepee while I erect the cabin. And it's freaking <laughs> hilarious. So anyway, I've got, I've got this, this, um, this, this big canvas tent up. And I'm, I'm in bed two nights ago. And I heard a big dog roo. There must have been a big, a big ball. 
because um, you know just the thumping as it was running and, I, and it kind of woke me up and I was thinking um, well it actually woke me up because it was eating right next to my head just outside the, <laughs> the tent which is always common especially in the swag like I wake up in the morning the ruse I'm just in the middle of the pack of ruse and it, it, what, this crunching woke me up and I was like oh, oh there's a roo out there and then he, he kind of ran off and I was like oh he's a big bull like it was the thump you know you could really hear the size of him and then next thing I just heard this full ball running Oh, the wind's picking up a bit. And he's and I'm thinking, that running's coming straight at me. And I'm like, what's he doing? I'm laying in bed. This is probably about three in the morning. And next thing, thud, straight in the side of the oh, tent. This no. roo, poor roo, just runs straight. Kangaroos just runs straight into the side of the tent, right next to my head. And then he's gotten a fright. And he's, like, tried to, like, he's panicked. And then he's got caught on the rope, the, the, the um, oh. tie-down rope that holds the tent down. He must have got caught on that for a bit. And he's, like, and, like, there's, there's all this fluttering. And then he's, like, jumped off. And I just started losing it in laughter. I couldn't stop laughing. It's just, <laughs> but it's amazing. That's the thing. It's, like, you end up, you end up living with them. You know what I mean? And you end up, yeah, you end up just being able to take the time to sit back and observe. Oh, I love, I love how you've done this trip. Mm. I love how you've done this trip. How can people find you and follow your adventures? Uh, okay, so I have a website uh, called terrorroams.earth. And, uh, so roams, as in so you're roaming, like R-O-A-M-S? Yeah. I'm bad at spelling. Dot <laughs> earth. Uh, that's an actual domain you can get. <laughs> yeah, right. Dot earth, rather than Australia or the com the internet um so i'm of the earth i roam yeah. the earth and uh i'm also i'm on instagram terror roams and facebook as well yeah um and uh, i do a bit of public speaking so look out for events uh, i have a couple coming up in uh, melbourne and uh, a quiet summer writing a book so oh my god I, if you wrote a book year. that would be amazing <laughs> That would be amazing. Yeah, hopefully next year I'll have a couple of books ready to publish. Yeah. Well, what I'll do as well for this podcast on my website, I'll put some links that go directly to yours. And you sent me some photos that I'm going to put up there, which are amazing. Like you've taken some amazing photos around Australia. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's the phone. It's the phone. It's <laughs> the, the phone's phone. amazing. <laughs> Is there, do you have a favorite place in Australia? The East Coast. The East Coast. Any yeah. particular town, area, landmark? Between like? the Queensland border and Newcastle, the coast is just the, the most beautiful coastline in the world. Uh, it's The communities are incredible, very supportive and friendly. Um, you can be a total stranger and go into one of these communities and chat with a couple of locals and you feel like you're part of the place. Yeah. Uh, Crescent Head, I, that, that is I one live. of my favourite towns. Um, yeah. I really like going there as often as I can. But that whole coastline up and down south and north of Crescent Head is, is amazing. Um, I think it's, it's the feel of the bushland, it's the smell of the salt air, and it feels like home as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to share the same opinion. And, and my place is in Crescent Head, so you're always welcome there. Thank you. You're always welcome to camp and come hang out with the snakes and the kangaroos and, and hang out. But... um. Oh man, I'd have to get you on more because I know I know we've only just touched on some of your stories. And do you have another um, adventure planned at all? Yes, I do actually. <laughs> In on the June on June the sixth, uh, a, a big eight hundred kilometre winter alpine expedition is happening. So I'm leading a group of women 
Um, and uh, I'm inviting all community members to get involved in this as well. Uh, from Mount Franklin uh, Ski Chalet Ruins in Namaji National Park, all the way down to Borbora National Park in Victoria, down the southern end of the Alpine National Parks. And uh, we'll, we'll be visiting eight ski resorts along the way, asking them what their environmental initiatives are, what programs they have in place, and how they're countering their impact. Um, wow, asking them the hardlining questions. Yeah, so that people can see what their options are. Yeah. If they want to consciously choose where to spend their dollar, their ski dollar, then they can choose which resort is doing the most for the environment and, and countering their impact. Um, as well as uh, summiting 38 peaks, if possible. <laughs> wow. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, 800 kilometres. It should take between 8 and 10 weeks. Wow. To, to complete the walk. Can anyone come with you? Are you, have, you have this yeah. open? Is it an invite? Yeah, for the, the core team will be women. Yeah. But uh, I've divided, into, divided it into 15 sections. So if anyone's interested in coming and joining a section, they just need to let us know. Um, it depends on their experience, too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just let us know if you want to come and join the walk. And, that, and that's just through your website? Yeah. Terra? Te- oh, oh, sorry. No, it's oh. called Climate. So oh. C L I M B. Numeral eight, climate. Climate. Yeah. Oh, amazing! And I think I saw a. Was there a link to that on your Instagram? Yes. Uh, Facebook. On Facebook. Yeah, I just recently uh, shared a link to the website for that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Um, thank you. So that's the next big adventure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> After the book writing. <laughs> thank you for everything that you that you're doing because it's so amazing and and to to do it with um, such passion to do it with coming from such a heart space and also just the fact that you're doing something for yourself you know what I mean like and that's the thing you're doing something that is so good for you you know what you need to do for yourself and for your own physical and mental health and that just spreads because it helps other people do that it gives them a space to to be able to do those things as well for themselves you know it's like such an amazing thing and it's it's win-win it's just positive positive you know and I'm so stoked that there's people like you doing this stuff, you know. I'm inspired by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. I've met him a couple of times. You have? Yeah. How? In India. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time while he was doing a, a little tour up a valley. And uh, one of the things that he teaches, and it's part of the Bodhisattva way of life, is to increase happiness and decrease struggle Yeah. and suffering. And that's not just... For everybody else and the world, the planet and animals, it's for ourselves. We have to increase our happiness and decrease our suffering. And if that means you have to spend four years walking around Australia, do it. Yeah. And and that's back to what I was saying, that you're allowed to do that. And it's um, my mate uh, Rio, which has been on on the podcast a couple of times, Conversations with an Enlightened Elder, amazing episode. But he talks in that about just, it's just as simple as just living your life efficiently. You know what I mean? Live your life. Like if you're doing things that are hard, you know, it's like if you're struggling, we do it simple in our daily work life, right? If you're a builder and you can't reach something and you're standing on your tippy toes all day trying to do it, you think, okay, how can I do this easier? You get a ladder or you get something to stand on, you know? And it's as simple as doing that for your own mental health. It's like, okay, I'm getting stressed out every week with my job. What can I do to counteract this? What can I do that would help me be less stressed? 
how can I manage this better? How can I balance this better? And it's like sometimes it's like people forget to ask themselves that. People forget to implement those things in their own life, you know, and we know what's good for us. And I think a lot of the time, um, a lot of people are waiting for people to do it for them or someone to come along and be their savior or someone to come along and do it for you. And that's, that's the end thing. And that's the, that is the trick in life that no one is ever going to do it for you, but you, you know what I mean? If you're having problems in your relationship, no one's ever going to fix that. But you, if you have a problem with your job, no one can fix that. But you, you can change your mindset. You can change your job. You know what I mean? If you are stuck in that, people say, yeah, but I'm stuck in this job because I've got to pay my mortgage and everything and this is what I need to do. It's like, okay, well, is there a way that you can change your mindset? You hate your boss. Is there a way that you can find a way to love him? (laughs) You know, is there a way that you can find a way to accept how he treats you or how he treats people? Is there a way that you can take a step back and, and take a different approach, take a different strategy? I did it with building my house, actually. That is why I went to the tent you know it's just like i was sitting there and it was getting hard to live it was getting you know i wasn't enjoying as much as i could i was like hang on i took a step back i'm like this is supposed to be the most amazing funnest experience of my life and it has been and there was a couple of days where it just got so hard and raw and i was like hang on a second i don't want to have these days that are too hard and too raw what can i do to to eliminate that it's just change of strategy it was as simple as just erecting a tent so i had a clean space to put my my clean clothes and a basket to put my dirty clothes. It was just as simple as that. It was just like <laughs> that just made very such domestic. a difference. It just made such a difference by having a little space, a little kitchenette space. It was just so simple. It just changed the strategy. Mm. Yeah. We're allowed to do that. Yes. We're allowed to love ourselves. It's yep. as simple as that. You know, like sometimes I just think and it's like, you know, I, I'm lucky because I'm allowing myself to live such an amazing life and you're lucky because you're allowing yourself to live such an amazing life. And people say to me, oh, you're so lucky. And they would say that you're so lucky the life you're living. And it's like, the answer is so simple. It's like, yeah, but I'm just allowing myself to do it. I'm allowing myself to have a good time. You know, I'm allowing myself to see the positive things. I'm allowing myself to... I just bought my shorts down today because I'm like, oh, this is such a nice day. I want to go for a swim. I'm going to allow myself to do that. Go for a swim, you know? It's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, We we, we have choices we make every moment of every day. Yeah. And you can make a life choice, a lifestyle choice. And uh, people often ask me, how how did you do that? How how did you just drop everything and go? And I said, well, actually, I didn't. Um, I've lived a life of adventure. And adventure is my choice. And I've designed my life around that dream to see the world, to see Australia, to, to have the freedom. Yeah. to be able to just go off into the bush or walk down a coastal wilderness or yeah. ride for a thousand k's. Yeah. Um, you, you design a life where you have the freedom to make those decisions. Yeah. I, I, sometimes, well, well, I sometimes get confused with this like 10-year plan. You know, when people are like, oh, I'm just going to do this for a while and I'm not enjoying it, but in 10 years' time, then I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it. I'm like, have you ever thought about doing what you want to do now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, what if you get hit by a car tomorrow? And maybe that sometimes is my problem because um, I try and be in the now so much. And, like, you know, it doesn't work with business. It's just life can be so amazing when you let it. Should we wrap this up? I'm going to jump in the water. <laughs> okay, sounds like a great idea. I have a train to catch. I'm going oh, on yeah, another adventure. Right. Um, 
Tara, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the opportunity to share the story and the adventure. And I, I hope it encourages other people to just get out there and, and, and do what they want to do. Don't wait till you retire. Yeah. You, your knees won't be as good then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. Was, yeah, my knees are struggling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, after that job on Lord Howe Island, my knees need a good holiday. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where I met you. Yeah. Um, okay, everyone. Yeah, let's thank you, Tara, and thanks everyone for listening again. This is, well, this is Diaries of the Wild Ones, and we're right here. This is exactly what this podcast is about is people like you and sharing these stories. So, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. So if you like this episode, please feel free to share it and leave a rating. And if you have or know of anyone with a wild story, please get in contact with me through my Instagram, Aaron underscore Shanks, or the website, diariesofthewildones.com, because I'd love to sit down over a beer or a coffee and hear it. I do it like a double.